Hello, we are Eva, Aliyah and Jamisha, and we are TY students in the Convent of Mercy, Roscommon. We each interview different people about different topics that interest us, and you will hear these interviews over the course of this programme. We are looking forward to you all hearing the programme. All enjoyed our time creating the show and hope you enjoy listening. Hello, my name is Jamisha Garrity and today I'm here with Godway woman Grace Kennedy, a woman who has done extensive volunteer work in aid of Ukraine and its people and has committed herself completely to helping Ukrainian people enter Ireland. I'm here with Grace in Dublin Airport where she is doing further work to help assist displaced refugees integrate into Irish society. Grace, would you like to tell me a little bit about how all of this started? Yeah, well it was, I think um, the invasion happened on a Thursday and on the Sunday night I was at home and we were all glued to the news and my friend Kasia who owns um, a Polish shop in Galway, she texted me and said maybe we could collect a few boxes, you know, and send out a little bit of aid. So I said, yeah, cool. So we met in her car park the following day and started collecting a couple of boxes. Now we were out in the rain, it wasn't very organised, but the cars started coming and then vans started coming and we slowly realised that this was going to be a much bigger project than either of us ever expected. So within a couple of days we started getting a lot of um, news coverage locally in Galway and eventually nationally. So we knew that we would need a proper um, depot or warehouse or place to be able to pack the boxes. So we were given the Galway Racecourse um, by Michael Maloney. And from there on then, it turned into a much bigger humanitarian project than, than any of us thought. We went from a car park to having over 10,000, 12,000 boxes, um, over 200 pallets, five trucks, and eventually, obviously, a, a bus to Ukraine. Um, but yeah, it just started with the, with the text message. That was about it. What was your initial reaction to watching the horrors happening in Ukraine along with the rest of the world on the news? Um, I think the same as everybody. The first day or so, it was just pure shock um, that it was even possible in 2022 that we could be watching war on mainland Europe. Um, To see the very beginning of it, to see women and children starting to leave their homes and their jobs. And, you know, I think... It was very personal for a lot of people here in Ireland and in Western Europe because this was a very cosmopolitan country and hopefully will be once again. They have apartments, they have offices, they had normal jobs, they went to McDonald's, they did all the things that that me and you did. Um, They wear the same kind of clothes, they go to university. um, You know, they're really, they're just the same as us. And to imagine that one of us would have to decide, okay, I need to not only leave my house, but I can only take one small bag with me. What do I bring? And I remember sitting in my sitting room, looking around, going, God, I, I don't know, what would I bring other than my passport? What's, do you bring photos? Um, all of us um, only have photos on our phone nowadays. Uh, obviously, I would love to bring my dog, and I was getting messages about people leaving pets behind. Um, and it just started to really dawn on me and, and my dad as well at home that this was, going to be, this was going to be really serious. This wasn't something that was going to be over um, in a couple of days. Now, we already knew at that point that the Donbass, Donetsk, and the southern regions like Crimea had already been annexed in 2014. So they were Russian strongholds, and um, it was very easy for the Russians to spread from there. Now, obviously, since that, we've learned that the Ukrainian forces have regained a lot of ground, thankfully. Um, but the devastation that's left behind since those first few nights of watching the news is, is something that really nobody could have could have seen coming, unfortunately. And it, it's heartbreaking, you know. We've gotten to know a lot of these people now and we've seen the videos of their homes and um, of their families. We FaceTime their husbands, brothers, um, nephews back home. 
And, you know, I've even had one lady yesterday and she was extremely upset and she told me that she has two nephews. One is uh, Ukrainian by birth, the other is Russian, just across the border by birth, and they're fighting each other. So when you get to the point where you have two nephews fighting each other, two cousins, um, there's something something very, very wrong with that. And I don't think watching the news is going to help. I think we all had to had to do something about it. What problems did you face during this journey helping the Ukrainian people? Um, well, I suppose we knew going into this that we would encounter different types of problems. Uh, we didn't really know what they would be. Uh, and I suppose one of the main problems was transportation. So it's not quite as straightforward as you'd hope. Um, if a Ukrainian citizen, citizen wants to enter the UK, they have to have a visa. That visa... Um, technically takes up to two weeks but in reality takes a lot lot longer um, which meant that we couldn't bring these people back uh, through transit through the UK and obviously we were dealing with a double bank holiday here so it's St Patrick's Day and all our lovely uh, politicians were all over the world visiting nice places so it was very hard to get an answer from the Department of Foreign Affairs, the Irish Embassy um, so we were kind of snookered and we said oh, how are we going to get these people to Ireland? And it turned out eventually that the only way we could do that was to fly them. So we brought them to the nearest uh, port of call, which turned out to be Schiphol, which again came with its own, its own issues. Um, which obviously came with its own, its own issues as well, um, a lot of different languages. I speak uh, fluent German, uh, obviously we all speak English. They speak Dutch in the airport. Uh, some of our refugees spoke Ukrainian, and a lot of them have a Russian dialect as well when they're they're fleeing from uh, from East Ukraine from the border regions. So yeah, all of these problems kind of had to be overcome, and I suppose the main reason for that was there didn't seem to be any access to a ferry, even if we could um, have transported these people through the UK. There was no ferry for at least a week. Uh, which, you know, was too long. And bear in mind, once again, they've already had uh, enough of time on the road, waiting in train stations and bus stations and ports, waiting for help, waiting for safety, waiting for a hot meal, waiting to sleep. And we just couldn't take that risk. We, we couldn't hang around. It wouldn't have been fair to them. There were small children. There was mothers on board with husbands and boyfriends who are currently um, very literally on the front line. Uh, they, you know, we FaceTime them all the time. And... That was the most important thing, was to overcome those problems and just get the people safely to, to Ireland. You went on a trip to Poland to deliver aid and bring refugees back to Ireland. How was that experience, in your opinion? That experience was probably uh, nothing similar to anything any of us have ever really experienced. Um, and it was kind of a last-minute decision as well on my part. Um, so obviously... We were up in the race course um, organising the trucks for Ukraine and for the Polish border and some different uh, transport companies, you know, offered some some help and, you know, seemed kind of semi-interested. And then um, Aidan Garrity called in of Garrity Travel who had a GoFundMe and he said, I have buses. And I said, well, I have aid. So it kind of got legs from there. And so we headed off. Um, our first port of call was Zamosh, uh, which is just inside the Ukrainian border. Um, there's centres there, there's hubs for people who have fled Ukraine. Now, we were very lucky in the fact that the people that we brought back um, did not, uh, ha were not in these camps. So they didn't have access to food, to beds, to blankets, to heat, to water. Everyone that we brought back 
um, was from train stations, bus stations. These people genuinely had nothing. So we were really at the coal face of it. As upsetting as that was, at least we knew that the people we were helping genuinely needed it. They had a small number of carrier bags, not very many possessions at all, apart from their passport. And it made the experience a lot more real. Um, we've all watched the news, you know, we've seen buses pulling up and camps being full and so on. What they, you don't see is the underground stations, the car parks, the tents. Um, so yeah, it was a very difficult experience, but I would do it 10 times over um, if it meant helping these people. And now we've helped, helped their extended family as well. So that's, that's really given everybody a boost and that makes it all worthwhile. Can you give me a couple of examples of how these people are getting on in Ireland after they're arriving here not so long ago? Absolutely. I think they're, uh, for people who have no English, they're extremely communicative with Google Translate. So they're WhatsApping me pretty much every night, if not every day also. Um, they're learning their English. You know, they get free English classes. Uh, they get their social welfare. They get a medical card, which is very important because obviously they um, haven't had access to medicine and they've been in pretty poor conditions for the last six weeks since the invasion invasion began and it's important to remember that the people that are coming in particularly this week are a lot worse off than people who came maybe two or three weeks ago who had money and access to a car and fuel and so on whereas these people now are coming from Donetsk uh, from Mariupol from Bucha from Varna um, so they, they really need to get straight into the system and get their visas they're doing quite well um, obviously they're all incredibly eager to work Within a couple of days of two of our ladies arriving here, two young girls who worked in a hotel in Kiev, they were already not only settled in a hotel, but working in that hotel. So they didn't want to sit in the room. They were more than entitled to, but instead they went out to the housekeeping, asked for a hoover and cleaned the hotel. So these people are really, really anxious to, to thank Ireland um, and to settle in and to integrate themselves into the community because, I mean, who knows how long they're going to be here. Uh, once the children start school, we had a little boy up in Donegal yesterday who has never spoken a word of English and after his first week in school, he stood up yesterday morning when the roll was called and roared out on shop. <laughs> so I think they're settling in by and large uh, and they're finding each other as well, you know, we're, we're connecting them. They've actually um, kind of helped themselves settle in in a lot of ways as well. They're very eager to volunteer with Ukrainians who are not yet here. Um, I get a lot of messages from Ukrainians in hotels that say, I'm here, um, I have a double room, but I'm on my own. I would like to move to a single room. They're very accommodating and they understand and they're grateful for what's been offered here and they want to make sure that other Ukrainians um, can access the, the same system that they do. Um, and we've even seen kind of integration in sport with a young guy, Maxim, <laughs> they're all called Maxim. Um, he played under 14 team captain for Kiev for soccer and his mom just mentioned it to me in passing so I put up a photo on Facebook and within 10 minutes I had phone calls from Merlin Woods Football Club, Salt Hill Devon, Gaul United, we all want Maxim. So uh, I was going out on my own before those calls to get him size 43 football boots but now it looks like Maxim has a, has a long and healthy career of soccer you know, ahead of him. Uh, so we've seen a lot of integration between the different families and the different uh, communities in particular. Um, I know I've seen for myself in Carrow, in Karna, uh, in Kinvara, in Letterkenny particularly, amazing, amazing integration through coffee mornings, through bingos, through walks, through organised tours. All of these things are helping the people to settle in because they don't know where they are. It would be like if we were landed in a village in, in Kiev. Sure, we would have no clue. 
as to where we are. So all of these things are important and I think they're settling in. By and large, everyone seems happy. Have there now any stories that have stuck with you while doing this work? Absolutely, and I think uh, there's a lot of things that I'll certainly never forget. Both, both good and bad, as you would expect in this situation. Obviously, these people are going through turmoil and we're trying to help, so there's, there's good and bad on, on both sides. Um, whilst we were out there, I got a text message from a lady called Olga, who had two uh, small kids, a boy and a girl, and the little boy Maxim uh, was very sick, and they were in um, not ideal situation. They were kind of in a refugee camp at the time, no access to medicine or healthcare, it was very cold. Um, obviously Poland, this time of year at night time, is below, long below freezing. And uh, she agreed to come on the bus and she was so delighted. And I said we'd text her when we were an hour out from picking her up. And when that happened, it turned out that Maxim was genuinely too sick. And they had to go to the hospital and they, they could not come on the bus. And we were, you know, under time pressure because of ferries and because of everything. So we had to leave them behind. So a couple of days later, she texted when she got out. And she was one of the first flights that we booked to make sure that her and um, her little kids came here to safety. And they have been. They came here and uh, I met her at the airport and she quite literally fell on her knees when we met and it was very emotional for both of us you know but she's very happy she's settled now in the central hotel in Tullamore her kids are doing school online Maxim is playing hide and seek uh, her husband has contacted me um, to thank us he used to be um, a government official so we've seen photos of his building which has been which has been targeted he's now uh, driving tractors uh, in the war effort and you know he misses his family too but they're safe so there has been good stories now not everything unfortunately ends as well as it did for Olga and little Maxim um, we had a, a large family that were due in to Dublin a couple of days ago so we had a mom, a granny and three small kids uh, very small, you know, toddlers and bear in mind that a lot of these ladies um, didn't get a chance to get married during Covid so uh, technically they're legally single uh, so we had a woman who was a number of months pregnant and we booked her flight and she was very you know grateful and very thankful but unfortunately when it came to the time um, she could no longer fly and the reason for that was that she had since had a miscarriage and lost that baby and you know when you get those messages it's um, it's very hard to take because these women would normally be fit healthy young women you know in you know very young ladies that shouldn't have any issues um, with a full-term pregnancy, but they're under stress, they are terrified, they are not sleeping, they are not eating, they are lonely, and they've been treated very poorly on the ground as well. You know, I mean, there's a reason that this woman uh, was fine a couple of days ago and all of a sudden she, she lost what seemed to be a healthy pregnancy. So obviously, you know, we can we can offer them a flight at a later date, but there's so much more to it. You know, we have a lady, um, Svetlana in Cararo, that came over here and she told me she's actually a doctor of psychology. So we got her a laptop and she's going to do free online Zoom counselling with Ukrainian refugees, um, a bit like Veronica, who went through the miscarriage. So there's a lot of puzzle pieces to put together. Um, so that was a very difficult situation for Veronica um, but it's highs and lows you know we had a two nights ago I got a text message from a lady in Odessa 
and she sent me her, a video of her outside her house and you can hear her children speaking in the background and there's fires, there's shrapnel, um, there's launch missiles literally in this woman's garden and she was like, I need to get out and she said that they had, they had raised the curfew so that they could go outside a little bit later so I contacted somebody else that I had previously been speaking to in the region he sent a private car to her house in Odessa so her her mother and her two children got in this car they fled uh, across the Moldovan border and they were booked on a flight they'll be flying tomorrow night uh, via Chichenau on Moldova Air and I mean these are people who literally have fire outside their front door so when they land in Dublin tomorrow night um, there's there's no better there's no better feeling there's nobody that deserves it more and somebody who has contacted you from, from the ground, from ground zero, that are worried about their husbands, worried about their boyfriends. Their home is um, quite literally in the middle of a war zone. So when we have one like that, you know, those, those stories will stick with me as well. I look forward to meeting them. What do you think these refugees need now that they're here in Ireland? What do they need? I think they need exactly what we would need, reassurance and a feeling of safety and security. Um, obviously, you know, they're still, they might be here with their family members, but it's not their, their entire family. They're still missing home. Um, they have new SIM cards, which, you know, is difficult for them to contact uh, their husbands and their fathers and their brothers that are, that are left behind. So they need us to help them out. They don't understand some simple things here. For example, a lot of the refugees we've brought in are of um, Russian Orthodox religion. Um, it's important that they have access to those things. And I've made a phone call to Father Vassal in Valbriggan, and he's uh, personally met a lot of the Ukrainians um, that have been very distressed, and he's had a cup of tea with them, and he's visited them. And, you know, they need these simple things that they would have had access to at home. They need to know how to set up a bank account so they can get paid. They need to know uh, the tax system. I've had girls that were very, very distressed because they could not understand what emergency tax was and why they would have to work a week in hand. So these simple things that we all understand, um, they don't, you know, and they're worried. They're they're scared. They, if somebody tells them you're going to work 40 hours a week, we're going to take half it back in emergency tax, they panic because this money is so important to them. It's all that they have. They want to send it home. They want to use it to buy things for people who have not successfully left Ukraine yet. And that's why the most thing that they need is human interaction. And um, I've tried to stress this over the last number of weeks in particular. Um, people say, I would love to get involved. And then Ukrainian people say, Grace, we need help. So I think the only way that that's going to work is if Irish people come together and go in, physically visit the people in your local hotels and your local centres. They are there. They are waiting. Um, obviously, they can't come to your house, so you have to go to what is now their house and ask them. They might just need a chat. They might need a box of nappies. They might need help setting up their phone. They might not have an adapter to charge their phone. And it's the only way, and I guarantee you that if you do um, go in and visit these people, you will fall in love and you will end up going there every Sunday to visit them. Bring your kids. Um, I've seen a lot of people who had small kids with uh, piggy banks that they saved coins over uh, COVID, going holidays and so on. And they've come to me and they said, actually, no, I want to buy something for the Ukrainian kids. So don't buy it for them. Go in and ask them. What would they like? And it teaches children the value of money and it teaches them how to be giving and how to donate. And everyone's kind of kind of a winner in the end. So that's the most important thing, that they get human interaction, they get welcomed, and that they're not isolated in any community, that they're welcomed, uh, and particularly through sport and music and dance, uh, because obviously those are, those are universal languages.
Can you tell me a bit about what you were doing here in Dublin Airport today? Yeah, so when we came back from the bus in the Ukrainian border region, um, the Garrity Travel GoFundMe had quite a substantial amount of money in it and we had to figure out what was the best way to spend it. So booking flights seemed like um, the obvious choice and the quickest way to get people out and to get them safe. So from the families that had originally come back to Ireland on the bus, uh, they spread the word to their family and their friends in the Ukraine who were fleeing to Poland that we would be able to, to get them a flight, to get them out and to get them to Ireland to get them safe. So now we're at the point where these people are on their way and we're meeting them here in the airport. Um, day and night, the flights come in from early morning until you'd be here until about maybe 4 or 5 a.m. to get them processed, get their visa, make sure they have food and that they know where they're going because obviously it's a very stressful time and we all come off a flight and we all feel quite tired whereas these people have been um, going through a much more difficult process for the last two weeks. This is just the last leg of a very difficult journey for them. So we need to be here. They need to see a face, be welcomed, um, you know, whether it's just a cup of tea or, you know, a cigarette, whatever it is that they need, we're here. Um, to get them to calm down a little bit, help them with the kids. There's a lot of very small babies. Um, bear in mind, we don't have many men. There's no husbands and boyfriends. They're, um, they're not allowed to leave unless they have an exemption. Exemptions would be if they're over the age of 60, have an illness, or if they have more than three children, they're allowed to leave. So the vast majority of women and grannies that we see here are very distressed, very lonely. They have no protection um, and they need to meet somebody that they can trust. So because we've booked their flights and we've stayed in contact with them, uh, we're kind of their first port to call or if not their only port to call here in Ireland. So it's important um, that we meet them and greet them and, and get them into the system and, and, and make sure that they're safe and that they get the accommodation that they need. Thank you, Grace, for spending the time with me, recalling your time spent helping Ukrainians come into Ireland. It's really appreciated. 94.6. This is Ross FM. Hi, my name is Eva Rogers, and I'm a TY student in the Convent of Mercy, Roscommon. For my interview, I'm going interviewing the Roscommon Student Enterprise Representatives, Kaban Cozies. The Student Enterprise Programme is a compulsory TY module in the convent. Students must create a product or service, create it, market it and then sell it to the school and wider community. It's a module that every student loves and enjoys taking part in. Cup on Cozies was created by Anna Gooney and M.O. Farrell. Cup on Cozies are hand-stitched cozies that fit around reusable cups that help stop your hand from burning. Anna and Emma are going to answer some of my questions about the programme and their experience with getting through to the national final, which takes place in May. Hi, Emma. Um, where did the idea of Cup on Cozies come from? Um, the idea for Cup on Cozies came from a love of coffee. We were all very big coffee drinkers and wanted to be it to the theme of our enterprise. We originally wanted to a coffee stand for the junior students in our school, but for different reasons, we ended up not doing that. Um, we stuck with the coffee theme and Cup and Cozy was created. Millions of cardboard sleeves and cups are sent to landfills each year and we wanted to try and find a solution to this issue. What is the unique selling point of Cup on Cozies? The unique selling point of our product comes from the fact that each one of our cozies are unique and different, as each one is hand-stitched by ourselves. Our cozies come in a range of different fabrics, including Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day and Easter. We've recently started selling cozies in the Ukrainian colours, blue and yellow, with all proceeds going to the Irish Red Cross. 
So far, we've raised €130 Euro from selling these cosies. Our reusable coffee cups come from an Irish brand called Earthly.ie. The cups are made from brown rice husk waste and are fully reusable, sustainable and biodegradable. What was the most difficult part of your enterprise? The most difficult part for me would definitely have been thinking of a new idea when our coffee stand idea didn't go ahead. But it all worked out as we definitely think Open Cozy was the best idea overall. Anna, could you tell us how the competition works? The Student Enterprise Programme is a competition run annually for students from across Ireland. Students have the opportunity to come up with a product or service, manufacture it and then market and sell it. It's a great way to get students thinking about entrepreneurship and marketing and gives them a feel for running a business. Certain groups or individuals will proceed from their own school's finals to the regional finals where an overall winner is chosen to represent their county or region in the National Student Enterprise Finals, which take place in May this year. And what was the lead up to the deadline for the final like? It was definitely difficult at times, but we thoroughly enjoyed it nonetheless. After we were picture representative Scotland in the national final, we created a new promotional video explaining what exactly Cup on Cozies is, how we came up with the idea, and ways we promoted and marketed our product. We also updated our accounts and made the finishing touches to our business report before submitting all of our work to the judges. And when does Cup on Cozies find out if they've gotten through to the national final? Currently, our entry, along with all the other winning teams from the regional finals, are being judged. We will find out whether we have gotten through to the final, which will take place in the Helix in Dublin on May 3rd. What would be your top tips for incoming TYs who will have to do the Enterprise Programme next year? My top tip for incoming TYs is to take Enterprise seriously. It's a great model to do and there's so much to learn from working with, in a team with others. I really enjoyed it and it was fun overall. And lastly, Emma, how did you market Coupon Cozies? The main way we promote our business is through social media. Customers are able to order products from DMing us on Instagram. We've had over 3,500 likes and over 600 followers on our Instagram account. Some very well Irish celebrities were kind enough to endorse our products, including Dancing Stars champion Pasquale Larocca, TG Dennis Nocton, Irish influencer Ashton Curran, and Kerry football star Shawnee O'Shea, to name a few. We're running a competition and raffles on our Instagram and Facebook accounts, which attract many people to our page. We find that on, us on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook by searching Cup on Cozies. The Convent of Mercy Young Social Innovators class has asked if everyone could follow them on Instagram at safe underscore haven underscore YSI and sign their petition on social media and mental health. They have gotten through to the national final and would appreciate a follow and sign of the petition. 94.6. This is Ross FM. Ross FM 94.6, your community radio station. Hello everybody, so today we're going to be speaking to an Irish company and they're called Jill and Jill and they are a sustainable art print clothing brand and now we're going to welcome Jill. Um, so firstly I'd just like to ask you just to explain your company a bit and what you stand for and stuff. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm Jill Deering, one of the Jill and Jill and we have Gillian Henderson who is also part of Jill and Jill and we're a collaborative uh, duo, design duo here in Dublin. Um, uh, we've been in business now for coming up to five years. And uh, yeah, we, we basically, I guess you, you're, you're talking uh, to us about a sustainable brand. It is the, I guess, foundations of our business. And we try and carry that message through in everything that we produce. So we do fine art prints, uh, we do uh, apparel, clothing, 
and we do design work for clients as well. So anything really that is a, a surface design element. Um, I am the illustrator. Gillian would be the uh, screen printer uh, expertise there. And uh, together we have a, a good background in terms of I went to NCAD to study graphic design and Gillian went to Belfast to study uh, product design. So um, uh, through her passion, through through furniture design, she went down the avenue of screen printing and, and VizCom. So uh, we, we had separate careers for a very long time and then met in 2016 and collaborated on a, a passion project for screen printing a, a fine art piece. And in 2017, that's when the business kind of organically started and uh, it's been our full-time job since 2018. The main inspiration was actually each other, to be quite honest, because um, when we, I guess, hung out for the very first time, it was Jill, Gillian, I'll, I'll just say the other, I'll call the other Jill, Gillian, because it's a lot easier. She had a, a small art studio shelf in her back garden and was screen printing um, for other artists. And uh, I, I was introduced to her through, through a mutual friend and I hung out with her for a whole day. And my eyes were totally open to the possibility of where my illustration work could go. And same with Jill, vice versa. You know, she saw a, a new challenge for her to be able to screen print more detailed pencil work. So we really just, I guess, vibed off each other and, and really saw the potential of where it could go. And it was honestly just a passion project during our own free time. Anytime we had, we would hang out and, you know, get inspired by, you know, either uh, other artists that we've seen, you know, uh, any, anything that was kind of a, a conversational piece with a real, I guess, directional of where the artwork we wanted to do together as a duo and, and how we wanted to show the world kind of our interpretation or our version of it. And the first show we decided to put out into the world and put Jill and Jill out into the world was based on um, uh, the, the the icon that is Iris Apfel. And she is, God, what's she now? A hundred years old, lives in New York City, still working. And her knowledge on fashion and her um, experience through life, her, her, I guess, interpretation of the world and her whole being is very inspirational. And, you know, a lot of people might not know the name, but as soon as they see the face, because she's so recognizable. So we decided to do a collection of 25 original pieces, but each piece um, was kind of unique in its own right in terms of, um, you know, the, the patterns that we used and the colors that we used. Yeah. And um, that was the starting point. The platform got really kind of launched, Jill and Jill, and we just said, oh, my God, like this, maybe could be something and we would we would love it to to be our career so we kind of took that leap and and just went first so what would you say your biggest challenge was um when starting it up or just so far in the journey biggest challenge God, we're, we're i think we're facing challenges daily to be honest um, <laughs> and that's what happens when you when you uh, start your own business but um i guess I'm going to let Jill hop in here a little bit now because <laughs> um, the challenges were is really, you know, neither of us have any. I think one thing that's come to mind over the last very short while is that being an entrepreneur is different to you know setting up a business or running a business. 
Yeah. Um, the skills that you you need to like run a business like the day to day, and I think for us the biggest challenge is kind of um, is, is is stepping into that role when when is needed. But at this moment in time, the biggest challenge is kind of like that is our role, um, yeah. and we're not really good at it. You know, we we fit more of the entrepreneurial side of starting a business. You know, the ideas, the adaptability the big goals but when it comes down to the actual day-to-day kind of um we're not really talented in that and in that and so that actually has become a huge um challenge for us it, it seems so um i don't know it seems so textbook like yes but it's 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 you know it, it's key for our business to keep taking over daily and um so that for us has been the biggest challenge in in running a business Um starting it i think it's you can't you, you can't you can't you have to wear all hats, but you physically can't wear all hats because you may not be um, educated enough in different areas or you may not be financially stable enough to be able to do things for your responsibility or you feel like you can do them, but really you should delegate the tasks. So all these things kind of are, they're not very textbooky. You kind of just learn them as you go and you make a couple of mistakes. It's probably the challenges of running a business day to day for us because we're very kind of, uh, our eyes are easily, um, but we're like magpies, kind yeah. of when we see a create a possibility of being creative elsewhere in the business, we just like migrate to that straight away, where we're like, no, no, need to do the admin, need to, you know, do the finances. So yeah. that to us is probably a big challenge. And I'd say a lot of creative who Bis- works themselves yeah. would agree with that as well. So do you find yourself having to learn doing the financial a, a lot? Yeah, you do. You're you're always learning daily. Um, uh, like it, even we would deal with wholesale as well. We've got our apparel uh, stocked in certain retailers, and and even just learning the language of that side of the business. Um, yeah, every day you're learning. Honestly, um, in terms of you know how how to do a, a purchase order or you know doing your VAT correctly. It's just it's it's constantly challenging on that front um mentally and um to be able to um segregate that and go okay well i you know these are the days where i have to get this stuff done and you have to wear the business hat and um you know they they they're probably more tiring for us um because it doesn't come as easy where in the creative realm we could be here in the studio till the very early hours of the morning because it's it comes way more natural to us and it's, you know, it's obviously the more exciting part of the business, but, um, but it all comes part and part, part and parcel of the whole thing. So, um, what is your big, biggest accomplishment so far? Um, for the business side of things, I think it's been able to actually employ, um, we, we have a, an extra staff member of Jill and Jill now, and we've had her for the last two years and she's been a massive asset to the business and it's just showing the growth that you know, eventually we can start to build on the Jill and Jill studio and and employ more people, which is fantastic. Um, I think another accomplishment is getting asked about our business is always really a, a massive comp- complimentary. Uh, like it's it's it, it's big because not a lot of people would really look to many businesses and and to be asked for the likes of yourself that want to know more about us or even. Uh, some colleges now we've worked with NCAD 
in the last couple of months and done modules with students there and, you know, been able to kind of give back what we are currently learning um, is is a huge goal of ours because, you know, Jill and myself being in, in college, we didn't have that access to, to creative businesses and to be able to teach that part to students to say, you know, they, you know, it's, it's brilliant that you can, you are a creative, but this is what needs to be done. So to be able to kind of pass on our experiences over the last four years has been um, has been great. And then on a on a creative level, we've worked with um, really incredible businesses, um, which really shows that our brand is growing as well. And you know, being stocked for our clothing in the likes of Avoca and Kilkenny Design, you know, we're we're up in the big kind of retailers that are here in Ireland, which is really amazing to be able to say that for, uh, you know, a, we are a small Irish business. So um, to be playing with the big dogs is really, really, uh, you know, something that we're proud of. Yeah. So have you any big future plans or what's your goal goal for the business? Oh, where to start? Um, I think myself and Jill, like so many, have learned so much about our business in the last um two years and you know we've very much pivoted adapted thought we were going to close up shop then we exploded and opened and got more opportunities and I think it's given us so much food for thought but also you know right now we're kind of taking note of everything that we've done and the direction that the business has organically kind of gone in over the last like two to four years and I think moving forward it's like about growing our team um and 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 hopefully like further feels like really kind of enjoying what we do and being able to do it with other brands and businesses and collaborate um in really unique ways um and and kind of ways in which maybe I think a lot of people maybe wouldn't have thought about or guessed um I think just showing the kind of versatility and the I don't know how adaptable our, our our us as creatives can be um, across any industry. I think is kind of what our goal is. Kind of so no, nothing in particular. I'm not going to give away any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to say, but yeah. Um, Leave it as a surprise. Just, oh God, yeah, always. Yeah. So, uh, what is your favorite thing about the business? Is it like the making of it, or what's the favorite thing? Your favorite thing it, do, to do in the business. Um, I guess every day we get to wake up and do what we are really, like, really love doing. Um, you know, it's every day we feel like it's a weekend, to be honest. We don't, we don't like, celebrate Friday or dread Monday. We really thoroughly enjoy um, being in it. And um, we love the challenges. We love being able to push the boundaries of our skills and, you know, being as creative as possible and even... We get to work alongside a, a lot of peers that we admire, other artists that we get to collaborate with. And it's exciting. It's exciting times that, you know, our following and our customers really get enjoyment out of what we produce. And to me, that's, that's the why. And that is the, the reason why we get up and keep doing it. So if enjoying what you do is a big part of why your business is successful, do you think? Um, I definitely think it helps. <laughs> it definitely gives you the the fire in the belly, especially when things may not be going as great as you would like it to go. You know, there there are um, 
peaks and troughs to to running your own business at all times and you know you the highs are fantastic the lows can be difficult but you know i think at the end of the day if your why is is a passion to do what you do and to do it well you will succeed you will do it to the best of your ability you won't mind putting in the time the hours and you know even the compromises of maybe not being able to socialize when you want to socialize because the job kind of takes priority but you know the reward is great and the fact that you are we are you know producing something that is um received extremely well um across all levels that that you know we're clearly doing something right so um yeah like jill said before we've we've big plans and you know we want to grow our company and and you know not just in ireland but across the water if possible and yeah like anything is possible so um you just have you you need to have the passion for it so i I would agree that yes it is a, a big why to the business yeah well thank you for that um and it's really interesting to see how like you met and just how the company's grown and yeah uh thanks again no problem thank you for the interview lovely chatting to you no problem Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Good weekend. Bye. Bye. 94.6. This is Ross FM. We would like to thank Cup on Cozies, Jill and Jill Clothing and Grace Kennedy for the interviews and would like to thank everyone for listening to the show. Thank, thank you. you.